Listening to Tabletop and Beyond with your host Justin. But before we get started, how was your geek week? And co-hosts Dan and Jason. You have to be willing to let the dice help you tell the story. Okay, look, this year I'm going to stop mispronouncing words. Join us as we cover board games to war games and beyond. back to Tabletop and Beyond. I am your host for this Winning War Cry podcast, and I'm here with my co-host, Dan. Dan, welcome back, buddy. Hey, great to be here. How's it going? It's it's going. We have had a lot of stuff happen in the last month. A lot of big stuff. Yeah, it's been, it's really been an exciting, like, two, two and a half months for the game in general, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting into it. I think we're going to cover a lot today. We are. So today, uh, we're specifically going to talk about your adventure at Adepticon, which, by the way, I was super jealous of you. I was, like, <laughs> moping around the house, and my wife's like, what's wrong? And I'm like, I'm not at Adepticon. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you should so, definitely come next year. Yeah, exactly. I, I really want to. So, um, yeah, we're going to talk about your kind of foray into Adepticon, and uh, one of the big news uh, items is that... Uh, at the very last minute, I was asked to host the Warhammer Grand Tournament at the Nova Open. So, feeling Which pretty is big good. news. I feel like, I mean, we're not burying the lead here. It's only a, yeah. a minute into the cast, but right. I feel like you didn't give that the hype that it deserves. You are <laughs> going to be the TO for the Warcry GT at, um, at the Nova Open. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm still kind of sinking in because I'm like, part of me is like, what did I get myself into? You know, and then the other part of it is like, I really want to make Warcry like a big thing, you know? Mm -hmm. So one of the, one of the things that I saw was that like Kill Team has a tournament on, I think it's Thursday with 64 people in it. Yeah. You know, and they had like, um, four, like 16 person pods that you would play through and then you take the winners and winners and winners, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, and they had that like mm -hmm. on a, on a Friday thing and I was like, man, I really want to get Warcry to that point. So you know? I was actually talking with some of my buddies because um, I actually scheduled with a few friends a time to uh, teach a few of them the game. And I was, we were talking about how Kill Team and Warcry actually make more sense as competitive games than the big games do. Now, the big games have more depth at the list building level than kill uh -huh. team and Warcry do i i won't dispute any of that i, I totally get it um but the fact that you can play nine games in a weekend pretty reasonably right. for yep. either of the two small games gives you a legit champion so like the the swiss pairing system when you have exactly enough rounds to get rid of all but one undefeated players uh it's still not the most legit championship right like it's um if you if you treat swiss pairings as single eliminations it just it's actually just a, a worse uglier way of doing single elimination uh, uh right. swiss pairings become really powerful in terms of ranking the players from best to first um when you actually have a few 
you have enough rounds so that um, the the last undefeated player still has two more rounds to go before before they've won the tournament. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's when you actually get to sort of tell people who was the best player on that day, who wasn't, etc. Um, and so with Warcry and Kill Team, you can actually do that. Nine rounds over a weekend, that's enough to, to legitimately say, you know, you went eight and one, nobody else went better than seven and two, and also here's all the points, you know, that they got. And so you can actually really say, like, who is legitimately first, second, and third on a on a given weekend. And I know that, like, with 40K, they have, like, expanded. And, in fact, uh, Age of Sigmar this year is expanding to where they will have the five-round normal grand tournament, and then they'll take the top eight and have them do basically a three-game playoff, you know, single elimination playoff at the end. I think that's so. huge for bragging rights stuff. Um, yeah, I think it's good. The one thing about only cutting to top eight is if you just had three more rounds of Swiss, uh, the ninth place person could easily still... Because, again, like the breakers after five rounds for who's in top eight are really yeah. just really messy. The ninth place person after five rounds can still get third in the tournament if you do yeah. three more rounds of Swiss. Um, so I do think top eight... I do think cutting to top eight is really good for at least telling you, you know, who are the two best players. But... Um, right. You know, if you want to go down any lower than that, I do think continuing Swiss, at least for the top 16, would be better. But I think it's, I think the cutting to top eight thing that they're doing, that they've done in 40K for a while, like you said, yeah. um, and that they're starting to do in AOS, I do think that that's a really good step um, for the people who are interested in it, right? The people who le live and breathe the competitive side of that game. Um, yeah. I think, I think it's a big step. So, yeah, so I'm excited about. Uh, hosting this, I've I've done conventions before in terms of like an RPG, you know, sessions that I've hosted like at Gen Con and things like that. So mm -hmm. I've you know put on events for complete strangers and things like that. But this is a little bit of a different bear, right? This is actually being the TO for a a tournament at at a big event like the Nova Open. So yeah. Yeah. I'm excited to get into it. There's a little um <laughs> there's a little taste of our final segment for the night. Right. So uh people will people will hopefully tune in to hear more about that cuz uh, I think we both have some ideas and I'm looking forward to getting into them. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So uh before we get started, what what's on your hobby table, my friend? Um I actually just finished uh four squig hopper. No, five squig hoppers. Uh, one of them is in the color scheme that I just have for my Gloom Spike Gits Warband, but the other four are for a um, for another YouTube content creator who's planning on doing like a charity video in the summer, oh, and cool. I was really excited to um, be invited to be involved and looking forward to being able to kind of share more about what that is, but. Um, all, what I can say now is I got to sort of experiment with kind of sky's the limit color schemes oh, on them. And so I've never, I always put so much pressure on myself to think of a good color scheme for every warband or every whatever that I do. And it was so freeing to just think I'm only, all four of these models, the only stipulation is that they be in different color schemes 
I can, the sky's the limit for what I can do. Let's just, let's just go for it. And it was incredibly freeing. It was completely stress-free. Um, I painted them, you know, pretty fast compared to how I paint most things. And I think it worked out, you know, better than how I paint most things, uh, which I think is really instructive, right? Like paint freely, paint for fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, sometimes I feel like I put pressure on myself to have something come out a certain way. And it was really a relief to just not care how they came out. And then they ended up coming out great because I was, you know, all the all the weight was off my shoulders. So it was, it was a good time. That's pretty awesome. I mean, I'm in the ruts, maybe not the right word, but like I'm either painting armies or I'm painting war bands, right? So mm -hmm. coming up with a good looking tabletop cohesive painting scheme right like i haven't really done what you said there which is like just take a model and just have fun with it um you know like i do have fun painting i love painting you know what i mean but yeah the um there i think there's something liberating like you said uh in one of our previous uh talking warhammer segments that we had i had uh james o'brien who was like the age of sigmar uh, lead for the Nova Open for all. I actually listened to every minute of that podcast. Oh, did I you? actually Great. really liked hearing his perspective. It was really cool. James is an awesome guy, and, and I'm lucky that he is uh, in our area here in DC that I've gamed with him and you know um, gotten to know him. He's a very uh, very good guy. But um, we had committed to enter a model in the Capitol Palette, which is the painting competition. Uh -huh. for um, the upcoming Nova Open. And I think, if I understood our text correctly, you are going to be entering something in there too, right? Yes. Um, <laughs> I'm going to enter a... So uh, submissions are... The deadline is, I think, like Saturday at 6. And yeah. the um, AOS event, as long as you don't make top 8, which I don't plan to, um, it ends at 4. So I'm going to submit my Yndrasta that I have not painted Ooh, yet. Nice. It's the only part of my Stormcast army that I haven't painted. I've painted the whole thing except for, hilariously, one Castigator and Yndrasta. So uh, <laughs> at some point this summer, I'm going to paint my one Castigator and Yndrasta and, uh, and submit the Yndrasta for the uh, painting competition. So I'm going to take the Ogroid um, Myrmidon, mm -hmm. and I'm going to Beautiful. paint him up. Yeah, yeah. I, it just is such an amazing model. My what I've been kicking around in my mind is having moonlight come down from the angle where the shield is, oh, and cool. then having some OSL fire light up his kind of underside. Cool. where his chest and spear are right and then having a base that kind of gives a, the perception that like a building's on fire or something like that as he's walking through this little town you know that's awesome so that's awesome. that's, that's that. the plan we'll see how i execute <laughs> <laughs> so uh that's what's shaping up in mind but recently i just finished i last time i t think i told you i was still working on the red red harvest terrain and mm -hmm. that thing was just like, ugh, like, just get it done already, right? And I finally finished it, thank goodness. And it looks great. I love it. Um, nice. But then I started on some on the Dominion half of the Stormcast Eternals just to make that warband up, the Thunder, the Thunderstrike warband. Oh, and I yeah. snapped a quick pick in our war, in our, I mean, it's a potato pick that I sent you, but 
I'm painting them according to like a Roman legion style. Um, I was going to say this looks very historical. That's that's cool yeah. to know. Okay. Yep. So so um, I painted their shields like if you you know what what are they their um, I can't what are, what are the names of the regular troops with the shields? They're not the liberators anymore. They're the um, oh the vindictors. Vindic- yeah, vindictors. Yeah. Yep. Um, so these have the classic stormcast shield, right? Mm-hmm. I'm gonna freehand a little bit of lightning bolts on those. Cool. Um, you know, to give that stormcast look, and I'm gonna do that with the blade too. Nice. Um, and then you've got and, kind of the red background that you're gonna do on it. Yeah. So I'm gonna leave like the red on the shield, like on the uh, shield, like do kind of like, like uh, you know, reddish magenta lightning bolt type things, and then um, I'm gonna pick out some details with gold on there too just some of the details so i want to leave most of the steel armor that i have given them so you know you're going to get a lot of that uh red gold silver you know that's kind of associated with roman legion style stuff so um it looks really really good with the um with the guys with the uh the capes and the and the halberds oh i bet yep, yep. um looks really i good love the guys with the capes and halberds i wish their role in the game is, um, or at least in AOS, it's it's good, but it's very niche. Uh-huh. And then in Warcry, they're decent, but not amazing. And yeah. so it's like in both games, it's something where you can play them if you love them, but you wouldn't like you wouldn't go out of your way to play them, right. which is too bad because they're my favorite uh, Thunderstrike model. Um, oh, I yeah, like them amazing. even more than Annihilators. I also in... really love Annihilators. But... <laughs> the shields on the Annihilators are amazing, but they're yeah. so slow. Yeah, they are. They are. Um, also, I love Terminator style, you know, like yeah. um, like Space Marine Terminators, that kind of style. But I like them because they complement the smaller ones, you know? Like, right. I, don't, I don't know that I'd want an army of all Terminators. So that's my only thing on the Annihilators, whereas... The Praetor is just kind of, they cut that, uh, you know, that flowing, dashing, but then also the really heavy axe at the same time. It, it's a cool contrast to me. Yeah, yeah. So um, it, this has been a, like a quick and dirty paint job. I mean, obviously, like I said, I'm going to do some some uh, freehand a little bit on it. Yep. Um, just to put some lightning bolts in there um, and uh, to make it like their shields look a little electri- electrically charged, you know, kind mm-hmm. of thing. And then... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then I'm gonna base them similarly to the cruel boys that I have, which is like the swamp, the swamp feel, because um, I mm-hmm. want to put them in that same realm with them. So nice. I think it'll be good. Yeah. Nice. Yep. So yeah, hobby table. It's good. It's good to get back working on models. Like terrains, terrains a nice break every now and then. You know, like after, especially yeah. after you have like a big project with like maybe either big warband or like an army or something where you're like I just can't keep painting these little models over and over again. Yeah, like, yeah. Terrain's a nice break, but then after a while you're like, okay, I want to get back to models. <laughs> and terrain can give you that time to kind of think of your color scheme for the next yeah. set of models, stuff like that. But yeah, it is fun to be actually painting your fighters, painting your people. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There, it feels um, it feels like you've accomplished more. You know, yeah, which does. is funny because like there's a lot of terrain in that in that Red Harvest box. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So that's good. All right. Well, uh, we want to do a, a faction focus, obviously, um, similar to what we did with the ogres last time. And we were kicking around the idea of working um, off of the daughters of Cain. 
which um, I think is going to be a fun discussion between us. Yeah, they're in the news right now. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Um, I'm a Nighthaunt player, by the way, in Age of Sigmar. I don't know if you knew that. I didn't know it until I listened to your podcast where you talked about them. So are you excited? Um, This Arena of Shades doesn't do it for me, to be honest with you. Oh, I'm um, sorry to hear mostly, that. Well, I mean, and part of it is, like, I've got most of the models already. Like, I've got, like, 12 or 16 Banshees already. Uh-huh. And you don't need that many Banshees. Like, I just somehow ended up with that many Banshees. And then, um, like, I've got a bunch of the Blade Geist Revenants um, already. And so, like, getting the new box set for Age of Sigmar, I'd be getting the five crossbowmen. And then the new um, Scripter character. And... I'll probably wait for the crossbowmen to come out in a in their own separate box and kind of see how they are. Like I'm a little dubious on how well of shooting they are, but um, uh, the scripter I'll just I'll just like find them off of eBay or something like that. Yeah, I think that's going to be my best bet. So let me try to sell you on them. Um, I know we uh, said we do daughters of Cain, but it, it makes sense to kind of talk about them in relation to Night Haunt since they're coming out at the same time. Yeah. Let me sell you on, so the Knight of Shrouds and the Dreadblade Harrow in yes. Warcry, not AOS, in Warcry, both of them are quite good. They're, They're fighters amazing. that, yes. if they belonged to other factions that are better than Night Haunt, you know, as far as like the, the ground and pound troops, um, if they belonged to other factions, people would talk about the Knight of Shrouds on Steed and the Dreadblade Harrow as being like, you know, some of the really scary, like you watch out for those guys kinds of fighters. Absolutely. Um, I, when they came out with the new rules um, mm-hmm. for the night uh, that include, so, you know, the original Night Hot War Band only had, like, Chain Rasps and the Spirit Torment and, uh, yeah, they're, they're the um, the Reapers, and yep. there just wasn't that much in there, right? And so when they expanded it with the Grand Alliance book, that... Knight of Shrouds on Ethereal Steed was a winner. Oh my goodness. Like, he Absolutely. is amazing. Amazing. Yeah, and then, so, between that and the Dreadblade Harrow, imagine a warband, right, where, so you've got your Mirmorn Banshee, which is a decent fighter, but is kind of expensive, and it's in that kind of place at 145 points that's kind of, uh, no man's land or no ghost's land as far as kind of their value in the game. Imagine just the two big scary flyers just backed up with archers. Just archers. You know, like you basically you run in with your two big scary flyers or not necessarily charge right away but just like you go do what needs to be done for the mission with your big scary flyers and then your archers are just there picking off anyone that the flyers leave on one or two health. Yeah. You know? And, yeah. you know, maybe you have room for a chain rasp or two, but I think I think that having three crossbows in Warcry uh, might, depending on if they're any good, which, you know, they could really go any direction. Most archers yeah. are at least okay. Um, it could it could kind of give Nighthawn a new, a new identity in the game you know, depending on, depending on what it looks like there. So uh, it could be exciting for, for them. For sure. Um, I really do want to touch. So maybe our next podcast, we'll talk about night hunt because I think, um, I think that there's some interesting options now. I know that like they yep. kind of hit like a wet noodle and they do the same thing in age of Sigmar, but um, there's some interesting options now. 
They they aren't your mother's Night Hunt War Band that first came out with the. <laughs> yeah, they were the, kind of celebrated know, as being one of the worst in the game, and now you know the TOC. I still think they're not. You know, they're not burning down the doors of competitive play, but I do think that they're very playable now yeah. in a way that they weren't before. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And maybe we'll get some rules for the crossbowmen and stuff like that, and and that'll help us uh, make an opinion in our next episode. That'd yeah, that nice. would be really cool. That would be That'd cool. Be great. But let's talk about Daughters of Cain. So, a um, little bit of flavor background, right? Like, who, like, why are these guys, like, why are these ladies, I should say that, right? Why are these ladies in the eight points? Uh, basically, Marathi is sending these ladies, these uh, slaughter queens and these witch elves and sisters of slaughter and, you know, snake ladies, and they're just going out and looking for some of that Varanite. Now, they weren't doing some of the special ops that the uh, Canite Shadowstalkers were doing, but, you know, they're there to back them up, and they love killing things, right? So um, they were out looking for just warbands to cut down and help support the Canite Shadowstalkers when they needed. So And some um, really cool stuff in the blurb in the Grand Alliance book about how a bunch of Sisters of Slaughter have just kind of made a home in Karngrad and yeah. it's like because <laughs> I've always thought that Doc is kind of a secret corn army you know anyway that just kind of is in order but really I mean they're they're empowering corn quite a bit there's always like little things about how corn kind of likes Kane or has always liked Kane right um and so there's a there's a blurb in the Grand Alliance order thing about um a lot of Daughters of Cain just kind of living in Karngrad and figuring, like, I mean, every day I fight in the fighting pits and I slaughter chaos worshippers, so I'm, I am being productive here for order. <laughs> right, but, exactly. <laughs> but, like, really that's just an excuse because for all intents and purposes, they're just living the chaos life in Karngrad just <laughs> as gladiators, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. So, um, what... Uh, yeah, what I think is interesting is that for this warband, their fluff meets their warband style quite a bit, right? Yeah. Which is you've got a bunch of half-naked she-elves running around um, with knives and bloodlust. And <laughs> that's how they play, <laughs> right? Yep. <laughs> they run around and they just slice and dice things up. So um, it, uh, it can be a lot of fun for... Um, for anyone to play this, especially if you've got the army or, or the new box out, right? Like they've got a lot of good options in the new box set that, that came out. Yeah, they really do. Um, and let's, let's get into it. Let's start, I think with the, with the kind of backbone troops, daughters of Cain have a ton of, uh, cool leaders to talk about, but, um, I think any kind of daughters of Cain war band, it's going to start with probably, not always, so we'll talk about more options, but you're probably going to start with deciding, you know, uh, some sort of mix of Witch Elves or Sisters of Slaughter to be your, sort of the backbone of your warband. Yeah. Um, and they're a little expensive to collect, right? Um, that, uh, that dock, that uh, Witch Elf Sisters of Slaughter box has always been one of the more expensive, you know, small battle line boxes, but... Um, it's, a, it's I mean, it's really pricey. It was like sixty dollars, and this is before the price increases. It was like sixty dollars for twenty of them. 
right? I think 60 bucks for 10. 60 oh, for yeah, 10. Oh, yeah, 60 for 10. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, it was a lot. That's a lot. So. Um, luckily, with the price increases that have hit most armies, they actually didn't hit the Witch Elf box. Right. So, uh, you know, they haven't gone up. They, they started as one of the most expensive things, but they haven't been going up where everything else has been going up. So at least, you know, they're not quite as far out there comparatively anymore. But um, to get to how they actually play in Warcry, right, uh, we've got the, the Sisters of Slaughter and the Witch Elves both have two options, so four options total. Uh, one is with a shield. Uh, so you can have the Sister of Slaughter with a whip and a shield. Or you can have the Witch Elf with a knife and a shield. Yeah. Um, or you can do Sister of Slaughter with whip and a knife, or Witch Elf with two knives. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know if you've got the, the stats in front of them. I would probably tell people to stay away from the shields myself. Um, yeah. You do get that plus one toughness, but you're paying a pretty significant premium for it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, first off, it's a it's 10 extra points, right, for either one of them to take the shield. You get the extra toughness, but you also lose an attack, right? Yeah, you do. That's and true. That is, um, I think that that's more significant for the Witch Elves, mm-hmm. um, just because they're fishing for criticals, especially since they only have a, a one-inch ranged attack. So, you know, they, they, the Witch Elves want to get up in your face and do as much damage as they can before they get hit back because they're only a toughness three and eight wounds, right? So, uh, like, something a little bit bigger can totally delete them if, you know, if they get a double attack on them. Yeah, that's true. Um, and, you know, if, if they were the same points cost, we could at least think about it. Um, as far as, you know, whether that toughness is worth the one less attack, but at being more points for the shields, I would just tell people to stay away. Now, the point you made about, um, needing to get their damage in before, you know, they get obliterated, it's, it's definitely true. Um, witch elves, so that the eight hit points, witch elves are so cheap at 65 points that you can feel enough of them that the eight points doesn't feel backbreaking if you've just got a ton of them on the board, right? If you're just, if right. you're witch elves everywhere and it's like, you know, some fighters can take things with eight hit points out efficiently, but some can't. Um, Sisters of Slaughter, though, have that two inch range, I think, is really helpful for them because Super helpful. they do a lot of damage. Um, I always think two inch range is better when you do do a lot of damage. And then they can also keep out of out of danger sometimes yeah so what's interesting is you know your basic witch elf with the two knives is 65 points so you can pack in a lot of the, a lot of witch elves in the list right i mean you can you're looking at easily like five six seven witch elves if you wanted to go that route mm-hmm. um very yeah easy. you could easily uh and then you know with the sister of slaughter that's equivalent which has the the knife and the whip um the it's only 10 more points and i think that that's interesting because it has pretty much the same attack profile meaning that it has four attacks it's strength three the difference is is that it has a two inch range and it's 
its base damage is the same, but its critical is one more point at four points. So you're actually, you know, with, with four attacks, you're kind of fishing for crits a little bit. You're, you're hoping to get those crits out, yep. um, you know, at least one of them. And so to do one extra point of damage and have that two-inch range for only ten more points, I think is almost a no-brainer for that, in my opinion. I would agree. I think Sisters of Slaughter are just one of the better chaff options out there. I mean, they're not quite chaff-like. 75 points is is a little investment, but I do think I agree with you that they're a little bit better than the Witch Elves. And it's funny, I think a lot of factions in the game would kill to have Witch Elves, right? If they were, you know, Daughters of Cain, uh, Witch Elves are their second best cheap fighter. Uh, (laughs) Half the factions in the game would be like, yes, we'll throw out all our cheap fighters if you'll just give us Witch Elves. Um, So you're spoiled for choice with Daughters of Cain. But I do agree, um, I would start by putting Sisters of Slaughter in my list, and then I often, I usually have a couple Witch Elves when I make lists with them, because the math usually works out better that way, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Just not any kind of math hammer, but I just mean like the list building edition. Right, like you find yourself at 1,005 points, right? And you're like, right, right, and well. so you're like, all right, I'll drop a Sister of Slaughter for a Witch Elf here. Yeah, right. exactly, exactly. Um, but yeah, no, I'm glad I'm glad you also agree on the Sisters of Slaughter being, you get enough for that extra 10 points that I absolutely think it's worth it. Yeah. Yeah, what, um, all right, so we have uh, two, there, there's some interesting choices. We have two uh, snake ladies, right? One's a blood sister, that's your melee option, and mm-hmm. one's a blood stalker, that's your ranged option. How do you like these two? So, I've been thinking about them a lot, and it's tough to say. So, I actually just bought the Daughters of Cain Warcry box. I'm looking forward to uh, painting them up. Um, I think blood sisters are good. They're not. Uh, this is the uh, the spear ones. Yep. Uh, they're not really incredible now that they've taken a bit of a points nerf, but I do think they're good. Um, you know, 7-inch range in terms of movement is solid, and they've got that 2-inch range. Um, and normally we think of Daughters of Cain as being uh, made of glass, like, dies so easily... The snake ladies don't die easily. Um, right. They've kind of got some some toughness to them. I don't just mean in terms of uh, their literal toughness being four, being a little higher, but um, they've got a decent wounds characteristic at twenty, right? Like they can take yeah. they can take hits from some of the more elite fighters in the game and uh, and still hit them back, which I think is really nice. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, it's funny because I'm looking at this, and let's compare this Blood Sister that's 100 and... Well, the book says 165. What'd they move up to? 175? Uh, they only went up to 170, so 170, a, a small okay. nerf. Yeah, five-point right. nerf. So they're at 170 now, and um, you've got the Sisters of Slaughter at 75 points, right? So you can get two Sisters of Slaughter for one Blood Sister, essentially. Less than one Blood Sister. Now, they both have a two-inch attack... The Blood Sister only has one more attack. They have the same toughness, same wound profile. So that's interesting to me, right? Obviously, the Blood Sister has more, a little bit more toughness, a little bit more movement, a little, a little bit more wounds. But if you are looking to make a killy killy army, mm-hmm. you know, like one that's going to like 
delete things off the board, I would rather go with the two sisters of slaughter than one blood sister. I think I agree. The only time I would sort of question that is if you know your opponent is playing, say, a lot of shooting where they're like when you throw your blood sisters or your sisters of slaughter across the table, um, probably only one of them is going to survive to get to the other side. You know, yeah. whereas your blood sister, probably even just one of them is going to make it. And then because of that seven inch move as well. Right. And then you'll have the entire profile to attack with as opposed to, um, I mean, you know, it's only one more attack, but you'll have that extra beef a little bit to attack with so i yeah. think i think that there are opposing war bands that can make you wish you had the blood sisters over the sisters of slaughter i think that that extra two inch move sure. is very relevant in certain situations um but i would say yeah 80 percent of the time i think i agree with you that i'd rather have the two sisters of slaughter than the if blood sisters. if i were yeah, definitely. If I were going into a tournament blind, right, like not knowing what I was going to face, I mean, even if I knew what lists were there, I just don't know what I'm going to face, I would probably include a Blood Sister. Mm-hmm. Just because you just don't, you, you know what I mean? You, you may need that little bit of extra beefiness, and you can't count on just yeeting up these uh, <laughs> <laughs> these Sisters of Slaughter up, up the board and you know, have them go killy-killy. Because um, you don't so. know if your opponents will be bringing things that can really kill them efficiently before they right. get to get their attacks in. Right, yeah. exactly. Um, what do you think about the Bloodstalker, the Archer uh, version? Um, I like... There's a lot to like there. I like having archers in general. I don't love this one. Um, yeah. Just because the damage output feels disappointing for how many points you're investing there. Yeah, is uh, did she go up too, to 170? Yeah, she went up to 175, actually. Ooh, ooh. Yeah. I don't think she needed that. Because um, here's, here's the thing. She does have a 20-inch range on her bow, which is, mm-hmm. I mean, reach out and touch somebody, right? Yep. Um, the only problem, though, is you've got two shots. Like, that's pretty swingy. You whiff a lot. Yeah. And it's two shots at, at, at uh, strength three. So, like, you're going up against a toughness four opponent, which... They're there. They're around. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, you're hitting on fives and sixes, so you're really hoping for crits with only two dice. So um, this this could be – this this is a model that if um, you would almost put in the rear with a gear to hold down a uh, – <laughs> hold down an objective and hope that they can just, like, rain arrows down on something, you know? Um, but it's – you're also paying for her her toughness and her wound count as well and her movement. So it's like, well, what does she want to be? Does she want to be someone that shoots across the board? Because um, she's going to whiff a lot of times. Or does she want to be something, someone that gets up in the action? And if she wants to be someone that gets up in the action, why not just take a blood sister? Yeah, agreed. I think um, short range with a lot of speed can be really useful, right? It's like you use the speed to get to the objective and then you're shooting from one side of the objective to the other, you know, et cetera. But fast with really long range, I feel like, you know, yes, it means nothing can hide from you ever. So that's good in treasure missions, but outside of treasure missions, I don't think it's very good. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I'm looking forward to talking about the leaders because I do like having 
access to archers in your warband, but uh -huh. uh, this one's not it, and I think you've got other options. All right, so let's round out some of these units real quick. Doomfire Warlock, would you ever take a Doomfire Warlock? I am allergic to mounts. Um, <laughs> uh, of course, with the exception of catacombs, right? Of course, catacombs yeah, are good. Yeah, you mentioned that before. Um, mounts are good there. But the Doomfire Warlock has the same problem you talked about with the Bloodstalker, right? Just two attacks, strength three. You're just whiffing so often, and 140 points is a lot. Or, wow, there are 145 now post-Toma Champions. That's oh, a lot of they points. They should have made it 75 points, and still I would have thought it <laughs> twice about taking it. Like, it's just not my favorite. You know, you're just like, I just, I want to do something with this model, but they're just like, you can't climb on things. You can't, you know, you can't go through doors. You can't, like, do much with uh, amount. I mean, you can get from point A to point B quick. Yep. But um, it has toughness 3, 18 wounds. Like, you know, a couple of good attacks. Like, man, if an ogre lead belcher targeted this guy, he'd be dead. Mm -hmm. real fast you know so i mean but yeah there's too the many drawbacks is. to justify so. you know you do get that long range right 10 inch move but yeah uh, we we have better options with this warband uh, the last two that we have in here is the canari heart render and the canari life taker which are both kind of the big winged flyers um uh, interestingly i think the wings look a lot like the furies Right, um, they do. in the chaos yeah. beast. So mm -hmm. I think that's where they got a lot of those. But uh, anyway, so you've got the, the flyers here. Um, do either of these stand out for you? You know, I almost never try to dismiss a fighter for being too, uh, too fragile because I think that you can often get a lot of value. But man, after they took points hikes, um, you know, it's 180 points now for a Canary Heart Render. It's 170 for a life taker and only 10 wounds i mean i know you have toughness four there but only 10 yeah. wounds for that yeah. many points is it's just asking for something to go wrong i mean they've got amazing movement at 12 inches right that's so, true like that's they true. can get anywhere on the board with the double double move anywhere they want to be but and this is a huge but you you throw them up the board and then what you know what I mean? Like, are they yep. sitting ducks? Like, <laughs> you know, there's a they can easily outrun their support. You know, not that yeah. you have a, a ton of support in Warcry, but if they're the only target that's within range of all the other fighters, they're gonna they're gonna take it in the chin, hard. And this you is know? another one where I'm excited to talk about their leaders because yeah. um, if you're gonna invest that many points into something that's just gonna die, well, let's talk about their leaders that aren't gonna die. Right, and right. I think we are to the leaders now. Yes, we um, are. Yes, we are. So let's 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 back up a little bit with the leaders. Who? What are your favorite choices here in leaders? Um, they've got a lot of good ones. They do. They um, have a lot. <laughs> I well, guess. Maybe, maybe should we start with ones that you don't really wouldn't take? Sure, just to eliminate them real quick. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I would only take the witch elf hag if I'm just trying to clear a lot of points out in my list. Um, same is true. The Hag Queen has kind of an interesting ability, but she's so bad at fighting, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't take her because you have lots of other great abilities too, so you don't really need, yeah. you don't need her ability. Um, and then the Handmaiden, it's double the points, almost double the points of, a of two Sisters of Slaughter. It's basically you stapled two of them together, except without as much of an output increase so I, I just wouldn't 
sorry, the handmaiden is is the sister of slaughter leader. I right. wouldn't play the handmaiden um, unless I was just like really in love with Sisters of Slaughter and wanted to have an all SOS warband. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree with you. I think the handmaiden, the hag queen, and the witch elf hag. Which again, that witch elf hag is the leader of the, you know, witch elves. Um, kind of their sergeant right. in the out, out of the box coming out. Um, I, yeah, those three, you just look at the points and you're like, eh, what am I getting for the extra points that I can't get from the normal from the normal one? Sure, they've got a little bit of access to some of the leader abilities, but, eh, like, you, you know, let's invest the points where I think they do more, more good. Yeah. So, um, yeah, let's start with, um, let's... Now that we've kind of eliminated those, which ones do you really like? Um, I love the Bloodrack Medusa. Okay. Um, I think it is one of the best leaders in the whole game. Um, probably not top five, but definitely top ten. Um, it is, so it has, so first off, it does a pretty good job dealing damage. Um, it especially to toughness three things um it totally wrecks toughness three right because it deals three damage on non-crits um so you know of course if you do get a six you deal five and that's great but having strength four and then three damage on non-crits and with four attacks too i mean you just any kind of chaff model you completely just blow it off the board so one of the things yeah it's one of the things that's important in this game is being able to clear chaff, and the Bloodrack Medusa does it very well. Um, the other thing, though, is it's also very good against super elites, so really big things. Um, it doesn't do a lot of damage to them, right, because, again, anything with strength 4 is going to struggle against toughness 5, but you have the Bloodrack Stare. Yeah, so this is a, an amazing ability. It's incredible. Um, so you roll two dice. If either is a three up, which I think goes to 88% of just getting at least one, uh, three or better with two dice, um, until the end of the battle round, that fighter cannot make moves or disengages. In addition for each six, you get to do some damage to them, which is a real, it's a cool bonus, but, um, it's not the reason you're taking the ability. It does make it really good, though, and when you do get a six, you, your opponent's just going to have a bit, bit of a facepalm <laughs> moment. But So netting, net abilities are always good, right? Oh, um, yeah, for sure. I, I think, I mean, t- imagine using this on a tyrant yeah. that's going to charge into one of, your, one of your units that's maybe got the treasure or something like that, and you just fix him in place, and now he can't move. Yeah, you know? which is, like, which is wonderful. I mean, and then it combos with the fact that the Bloodrack Medusa has range two. Mm-hmm. So you can do this on any range one fighter and they'll be stuck. So you can just have your Bloodrack Medusa attacking them. They can't attack you back oh, and fantastic. they can't move. Right. <laughs> right. It's just completely unreasonable. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a really, really strong ability and really strong fighter. Um, and she's pretty beefy. I mean, she's got a, a toughness of four and 35 wounds. Yep. Which is, um, I mean, that's a good that's a good amount of wounds, especially, you know, if you're looking at 
your chaff that's eight wounds, which is pretty typical, right? Yep. Um, but 35 wounds is, is sh she'll be on the board for the whole game if you treat yeah. her right. And she started at 255. Now she's only 250. She is worth every single point of that. She was worth yes. it at 255. I don't know why they dropped her five points. Um, but, oh, maybe I do know. I, so the the Contorted Epitome is kind of the Slanesh version of the Bloodrack Medusa. And uh -huh. it is a little stronger. Um, and it was 250 and is now 255. So maybe they just looked at those two... two uh, leaders and just said let's just flip these I don't yeah. know um, but it's it's still one of the best leaders in the game and it's it's amazing yeah if I'm a Daughters of Cain player and I saw that they took off two point or five points off the Bloodrack Medusa and gave five points to the Doom Doomlock um, uh, or uh, Doomfire Warlock uh, I'm not mad about that. Like, pile all, all the points on that one. I'm not taking that one anyway, right? Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> I wasn't a buyer at 135. I'm not a buyer at 145. Right, Make exactly. it 175 if you have to. <laughs> yep. Um, but they've actually got pretty solid options once you get past the Blood Rack as well. Uh -huh. um, what's your favorite after the Blood Rack? Um, my favorite after the... Uh, Blood Rack has to be the Master of Warlocks. Okay. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh. <laughs> I was going to say, like, wow, that is a surprise. <laughs> okay, tell me more. <laughs> no, no, no. He's probably on my lowest list of things. Yeah, here. I think like, so. We didn't talk about him with the Witch Elf Hag, right? But... We, he was so bad that we forgot him with the other bad ones. <laughs> exactly. We're trying to strike him out of my, out of our memory. Um, no, I like the Gorgai a lot. The gore guy yep. is beefy. I like the gore guy a lot, right? too. So mm -hmm. she's uh, 245 points. Sorry, I don't have the um, errata in front of me. Uh, Five-point buff as well, so she's 240 now. So she's 240. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah. all right, so this is the, you know, the leader version of the Bloodstalker, which is your melee uh, snake lady, right? Yep. And so she's got, obviously, the two-inch uh, two range on her spear, but she's got a whopping six attacks. That she comes in with strength four, base damage of two, four on her crit. So with six attacks, you're you're fishing for some crits there, right? Yep. You're, you're you're looking to get that, and um, she has uh, the turn to crystal ability, which is I mean it's okay. Like um, I think all of the Medusa snake ladies have that right which right. does some damage if you roll a dice and get a four to five and on a six you do extra which is which is fine um other and, factions but, have better versions yeah, but, of that ability right yeah. um yeah and because they're good they don't do a lot of output but they're good for finishing off fighters that you've left on one or two wounds um but this one has a like a decent chance of whiffing which i think is a little disappointing but it's fine it's whatever so, so and one thing I want to point out is that all of the leaders have the sacrifice to Cain ability, which yep. is if you take down a fighter um, during that activation, you can use this ability and it until the end of the battle round it adds one to the attack's characteristic of your attack actions. They yeah, have a really range solid. of three or less. Mm -hmm. So I mean, especially if like sometimes you pull out a triple hoping to use it somewhere and then it ends up not working out. Like, the fact that all of your leaders can now use that, like, that's a really solid option to be able to be like, okay, well, I'm going to use it on the Bloodrack Medusa. Oh, wait, that person died. So let me use it on the Gorgai. You know what I mean? And and uh, like and that's the Gorgai, so. 
Uh, to your point, the Gore Guy and the Blood Rack are so good with that ability because they have that 7-inch move and then they do a lot of damage. So yeah. a lot of the time you have the ability, right, because you have to get a kill to, to proc this, but you a lot of the time have the ability, especially with the range 2, to kind of cross the board, find a soft target, kill it, and then be in a place where you're going to have a big fight elsewhere too, or like you know nearby, which I think is really good. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. Um, uh, I'm really interested in the in the Shrike and the Harridan leaders, and I think we talked about those a little yeah. bit, right? Um, or we just mentioned them we when mentioned we talked them. about yep. the Canera. Yeah, let's talk about the Shrike and Harridan. I'm interested in them too. So um, this is kind of one of those where you have taken the two, right, two of the uh, Canera heart renders or life life takers and you've mushed them into one and i think it solves a big problem that the kinari ones have which is that they're only 10 wounds so yeah. now these are now 20 wounds and they have a little bit better damage output um their base damage is two um they keep the crit at four um but otherwise they've got the same attack or they got one extra attack each as well so i, th I feel like they've made up for uh big weakness of the of the regular troops there yeah i think um the shrike especially i just think it does everything that you want the life taker to do but it doesn't do uh <laughs> the shrike actually does it and um you know it's only 70 points more so that is it's hefty right you can get an entire witch elf for that price but um having the extra sort of insurance there being able to you know before yes a life taker move 12 range 8 you know 20 inches across the board you can hit something yeah the output is so low on those that you're not really doing anything now with the shrike literally nothing can escape from you yes you don't do a lot of damage to toughness 5 because you're strength 4 but both you know toughness 4 and 3 the Shrike actually does a lot of damage to Toughness 4 and 3, yeah. right? Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. And they they have the access to... They're the only ones that have access... Them and the, and the regular troops, right? The Canaries. Um, mm -hmm. They have the only access to the quad of the normal fighters, which is actually a really amazing quad. And I know, I know you don't like building your list around quads, and I understand <laughs> why. You know, but if you're going to take these anyway... Having that quad is amazing because what it does is if you, it's called Death on the Wind, and if you have the if you can use the ability, this fighter makes a bonus move action. Then they can make a bonus attack action, right? So you get a move and attack. In yep. addition, add one to the strength characteristic of that attack action if the fighter finished the move action six or more inches from their starting position. Now these guys have a movement of twelve. Yeah. <laughs> So a bonus move action will get them across the board. You know, like it can go pretty much anywhere where it wants to go and then gets to attack again and add um, add to their strength. So the, all of a sudden they're now uh, strength five, right? Yeah, which, which can pretty, be relevant um, against a lot of targets, right? The move from four to five isn't bad on strength. And um, just, yeah, like you said, it's always going to, result in three attack actions pretty much and yeah. getting to kind of boost your output on those attacks is is really nice um yeah no i 
I like it when a quad is just a better version of Rampage. <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, uh, because normally, That's I think, stick. yeah, I think most most quads are just worse than Rampage, and I would just Rampage instead. But mm-hmm. when it's just a slightly improved Rampage, it's nice. And uh, yeah, no, I think both of these leaders are are really solid. And you know, if you if you bought some Canari and you were, are disappointed that they're not very good, uh, well, at least your leader is really solid. And um, you know, flyers are good in. Warcry, especially with the newest missions in Red Harvest and the Tome yeah. of Champions, having a flyer can be really helpful, and uh, both of these I think are worthwhile, at least for testing, you know? So there's one, the Crone is the leader version of the uh, Bow Snake Lady. Um, yep. I don't know that I'm in love with her. I think she's got similar problems, right? She, she's got three attacks with her bow, which make mm-hmm. her a little less swingy, but you're still going to whiff a lot. I don't know yeah. if she's worth the points to me. Yeah, I think that she solves some of the problems, but um, I'm not sure, you know, Crone versus Shrike, I would lean toward the Shrike being the ranged uh, flyer leader. Yeah. Um, as far as your, you know, the ability to have an archer that covers the whole board and has legitimate output, I might lean towards the Shrike for that. Um and they're so close in points. Uh, the Crone yeah. is 235. The Shrike is only 240, so it's only five more points. Um, the output is kind of similar, but I think the Shrike whiffs less. Let me... I'm not 100% sure on that, but... Um, it's probably right, because, I mean, you got Toughness 4 instead of Toughness 3. Uh, oh, they're three both... Attacks, right? Okay. They're both on three attacks, right? So, yeah. But, yeah, the Shrike whiffs less on small things. Um, and I think that that's really, really good. I think, um, the crone is nice if you find yourself up against Stormcast, maybe, uh, mm-hmm. being able to kind of do the same damage to them that they do to a lot of things. But, um, I think Daughters of Cain are already pretty good against Stormcast. Yeah. Uh, the last leader that we have not talked about is the Slaughter Queen. And, um, the interesting thing is that, um... The interesting thing is that uh, she has the access to the only quad ability for the leaders, right? She's the only one that has it. And yep. basically, uh, it says, until the end of the battle round, af- add half the value of this ability rounding up to the damage points allocated by to enemy fighters by each hit and critical hit from attack and uh, actions that have a range characteristic of three or less. Uh, made by friendly fighters while they're within eight inches of this fire. So as long as you can keep her around, I mean, like, she would be kind of, I think she would be great if she was, like, hanging kind of around a bunch of Sisters of Slaughter, you know, yep. and you get to add, you know, half the half the ability. Here's the problem with that, though. One, it's a quad, right? <laughs> you got to yep. get that quad. Two, it's half the, half the value of the ability. So... Even at a six, you're adding, you know, which is your top amount. Or a five or a six, you're getting three, you know. So, uh, yeah, I mean, three points, uh, adding adding that to an ability is quite a bit. But, you know, what if you end up with a quad at a two? You're adding one point per attack, you know. And with quads, so. you don't have control over what the value is the way you do with triples, right? right? Triples, yep. you might roll two doubles, and you add your wild dice to the bigger double, and you have some control over the size of your triple 
you don't have yeah. any control over how big your quads are. You you roll a quad, you roll a quad, and you celebrate. Um, but you don't really get to control how big the quad is. So um, I am a little put off by that. Also, sacrifice to Cain. I know it's much worse, but it is doing a pretty similar thing to what Orgy of Slaughter is doing. Right. Um, so I don't feel like I don't feel like you need it. Um, I know some people are high on the Slaughter Queen because it does kill chaff really effectively right five attacks um strength four two four yeah. damage that does average out to be you know on the average roll you kill an eight wound toughness three chaff fighter but right. um i think i don't know that a slaughter queen plus a sister of slaughter is more interesting to me than than some of these bigger beefier heroes that you know the whole game just revolves around them you know what i mean right. like the gore guy the blood rack medusa even the shrike right like you can make the entire match revolve around your big hero character um and i i i'm skeptical of the slaughter queen i know some people like it but i'm skeptical yeah. of it i think that's fair i think it's fair and i think um you know if that fits into your style of play it's not a it's not a terrible option i think that the Slaughter Queen falls into the middle, like, options, right? Which is kind of 100%. where we ended with her, right? She's not the, she's not the uh, Doomfire Warlock leader that we forgot to talk about because it's just <laughs> not worth talking about. Right? 100%. Or... <laughs> if, if my opponent has a Slaughter Queen, I'm still thinking in my head, like, oh, man, what am I going to do about that Slaughter Queen? Like, right. it's, not, it's not bad by any means. You can definitely win with a Slaughter Queen. Um, yeah. The other one that's in the middle... I think that we didn't mention is the Malusi Iron Scale. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's the um, the one that came in their sort of uh, their dual box against Slanesh. That's mm-hmm. um, it's kind of a cross between a Crone and a Gorgai, where it does decent melee damage, but not as good as the Gorgai. It does some. It has a ranged attack, but the ranged attack is a little worse than the Crones. Um, it's the kind of thing that I think is really good in narrative. It's 265 right. points, so it's yeah. a little more expensive than the others. But the reason I think it's good in narrative is um, once you get once you slap a couple artifacts on your hero, having them be able to fill a lot of different roles in narrative gaming can be really nice. Um, I know a lot of narrative gamers are just like, no, you should be telling the coolest story. But I do, I at least, when I play narratively, I do think about at least some amount of utility in the game. I think sure. most people do. Um, and I think that um, an iron scale with a few artifacts on it is actually really good, whereas in matched play, it doesn't do what the Gorgai does as well as the Gorgai does it. It doesn't do yeah. the, what the Crone does as well as the Crone does it. It's kind of stuck in the middle. But for narrative play, I think it's solid. You know, what's interesting is I think you find that with a lot of warbands, right? The Icebrow Hunter in, mm-hmm. um, in, in the Ogres is in a similar spot, right? It's yes. not as good as a Glutton, uh, you know, or a... Or a um, uh, what is it, the Iron Belly? Yeah. The Iron Belly? Yeah. It's yep. not as good as one of those uh, melee, and it's not as good as the Lead Belcher melee or uh, ranged attack. And it's kind of like mediocre at both, but it can do both. 
Right. So, uh, you know, you have to, I think you have to balance that. Like, do, like, what do you want? Do you want it to, do you want it to be kind of okay at both just so you have the options or do you, do you, are you trying to do something where you have ranged and should you just go with a ranged one? You know, yeah, I, I think, think that you have to ask yourself that. And I think usually you're going to want, you want it to at least do one of the roles very well. Like mm-hmm. the tyrant, right? In ogres, the tyrant does one role very well and so the fact that it has a ranged attack is just kind of gravy on the side yeah definitely Um, and and so this doesn't quite have that which is why i say narrative because once you put an artifact on it it is doing one role very well and then the Mm -hmm. the other thing is gravy on the side right so but you need an artifact to kind of pump it up um we also missed uh morgweth's blade coven that's the underworld's warband um yes not quite as strong as their there are a lot more points than their equivalents um you know they're all of the sisters of slaughter and witch elves are all 95 points so um and then even morgweth's sort of pump ability is not quite as strong as a sister of slaughter doing just their regular um you know their regular pump um so i would I would stay away from the Blade Coven for competitive play, but man, are those cool poses and cool they are some models, amazing models. And yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're just not they're just not there for me. Um, and like you said, the Witch Elf you can get a Witch Elf for thirty points cheaper than what they're selling their Witch Elf here for, essentially. Yep. yep. You know, so eh, eh. yeah, I'm not anyway. a buyer. Um, they are apparently decent in aos so maybe that's why they gave them pretty weak war cry rules is because oh, you know they, they thought like if you're buying them you're playing them in, in two systems anyway underworlds and aos so yeah let's focus our our really strong rules on maybe some of the ones that are not very good in aos i don't know i don't know what they were thinking but yeah who knows so hit me with some lists how would you how would you build a uh, a list here so I'm going to make a shameless plug here. We um, have been working on some of the Warcry faction pages on our Tabletop and Beyond website. So if you want to take a look at kind of our evaluation of some of these uh, units and leaders and sort of the strengths and weaknesses of the armies, the strategy that you can be using, we've got, uh, I feel like it's a pretty good breakdown on our webpage. And I'm pulling from my list, my sample list that I put at the bottom of the page here. Um, so I'm going with a leader is the gore guy. Okay. Uh-huh. And I decided to go with a blood stalker and a blood sister. I did, de- I did decide to go with a blood sister on here. Um, because I did like the idea of the double attack archer from pretty much anywhere on the board. Right. Yeah. That, that mm-hmm. was, uh, that was pretty good. Um, I went with a life taker just, <laughs> I should probably change this list after our discussion, but <laughs> I did go with the life taker. Um, and you and were even was, leading the train on life takers being disappointing. I know I was. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I made this list before the show, so maybe I need to go update it. But I did go with a life taker. The idea would like that's kind of like a run and grab, um, like if there's a treasure mission type of thing. Yep. Um, and then I've got uh, three sisters of slaughter with the barbed, or sorry, two sisters of slaughter with the barbed whip and sacrificial knife. Yep. And then one with the bladed buckler, and I did that just for points. Because I'm at like 990 at that point. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So for me, what I would do, um, 
I would go with the Bloodrack Medusa is where uh-huh. I would start. And then uh, you can really try a Gorgai or a Shripe, Shrike, the Gorgai being the leader of the, um, the Snake Lady Spear people, uh-huh. and the Shrike being the leader of the... Um, Sort of battling, yeah, the Canari yeah. with the spears. Yeah. Um, I think both of them are very good. I would want to test both. Uh, I only have a Gore guy, so that's what I'm going to be using. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, so a Bloodrack Medusa, a Gore guy, uh, two Witch Elves with two knives, and five Sisters of Slaughter with the whip and the knife. Ooh. And so that, that sounds like a pretty deadly list, man. So it's nine fighters. So you're not exactly flooding the board, but um, you know, you've got two huge threats where, like, the game kind of revolves around your two threats. And yeah. then, you know, your your sort of cheap fighters are really solid. So that's that's where I would start. Um, but, you know, this this list live, leaves a bunch of pretty solid fighters on the sidelines. So I think that there's a lot to experiment with with Daughters of Cain. It was funny. My initial impressions of Daughters of Cain as I was going through it, I, I too have the box and I have not yet cracked it open to build it. I'm really excited to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but my first impression when I was looking at their stats, looking at their abilities, I'm like, ooh, this is glass cannon army, you know? And um, like they're, they've got light toughness and sure they can do some damage and up it with abilities. But I wasn't too high on them. But then as we were talking and kind of going through it, um, you know, before, well before as we were working on the page, I was like, wow, this is, this is actually a really decent war band mm-hmm. like there's a lot of options here um you can do a lot of damage you can move really well um it's definitely an army where you want to pick your battles if you're if you've got a lot of uh you know Agreed. sisters yep. of slaughter or witch elves like you want to pick your battles you don't want to just kind of charge in like you would with the ogres Agreed. right like you yeah. want to you want to make sure that you are playing the game that you you're dictating the battlefield but if you can do that, ooh, it's it's powerful. And be smart about your two-inch range, right? You've got two-inch range all up and down the army, um, so that really relies on you to position well. Um, if you just charge in, you know, it is glass cannon if you just charge in, but if you kind of use your abilities and your positioning and, and you play smart, it's like, it's this interesting, it's a little bit of finesse, but it is also just like, scream across the table and kill everything but kill everything in a fancy way you know (laughs) (laughs) which is super fluff with these guys it actually it it really is yeah agreed (laughs) really is so i think we're both pretty high on daughters of cain in terms of being a a pretty competitive uh army and look if you're looking to just play narrative it's a again the fluff matches that well so yeah um yeah i don't think you can go wrong with his warband same so awesome very good. If you guys have any questions uh, about how we got to some of our stuff, hopefully we covered it pretty well. But if you've got questions, like, leave it in. Uh, we've got our Facebook page. We have a Twitter, Tabletop and Beyond. Um, our Facebook page, yeah, at either one, you can leave it there. Um, we can also, we're also in the Warcry Discord chat, so if you want to tag either one of us, um, you know, you've obviously got the Salty Sea, and I'm Justin O. Smith 1 2. Super, super interesting name. Uh, they're in the discord chat but you know if you if you want to hear any of that like feel free to tag us in the discord we'd love to chat with you guys about this but um let's talk about uh let's see how much time we have we've got about 25 minutes which is probably a perfect amount of time for our next segment um let's talk about 
uh, your time. Well, the main topic that we want to talk about today is events, right? And this is stemming off the fact that you went to Adepticon and that we are looking forward to the Nova Open that's going to be happening here in a couple of months. So um, why don't you talk to us a little bit about your time at Adepticon? And um, I would dare to say that Adepticon was the first major Warcry event in North America. Yes, I would say so. Um, they've had some events in Poland. They've had some events in New Zealand. But I hadn't heard much about, you know, just very, very few events in, in North America. Um, it was really cool. I met a ton of people, um, a ton of people, you know, who I'd never met before who were just mm -hmm. really into the game. It was really cool to see, you know, because I, I interact a lot with people who post about the game online, right? Yeah. Or people who comment on my videos, stuff like that. Um, but most people who watch my videos don't comment, right? And most people who play the game don't go online to talk about the game. Right. But a lot of those people, and again, most people also don't go to tournaments, but a lot of the people who don't talk online or don't post anywhere, they do go to these tournaments. And so there were... Um, in the mid-20s of people at a narrative event that was incredible. It was really well run. Um, I just put up a video talking with the organizers about it, about the, sort of their philosophy behind creating the event. Um, and then there were also 20-something people at, you know, between the two competitive events. And, yeah. um, and it was really cool to see kind of people's excitement for the game, you know, the things that bring people together into the game. I think talking to people... A lot of people were really into the fact that you could play Underworlds in Warcry now. Um, yeah. You know, a lot of people who had bought the Underworlds Warbands but then been disappointed by that game and being really excited that you could play it in Warcry. Um, and a lot of people who actually came to the game for one of the two reasons I did, uh, both of my reasons for being in the game, the first one being that it's uh, sort of more accessible from a hobby perspective. You can kind of try a wider breadth of things and you can experiment more. And my other one being that it just flows quickly and is fun, right? Yeah. A bunch of people yeah. I talked with are just were just like, yeah, I mean, I just played four rounds today and I feel great. Every round was fun and had its own personality and was and it went quickly. And like, you know, four rounds of Warcry is... Um, what is that? It's five hours of playing, right? Because each right. round is an hour and 15 minutes. And, you know, contrast that with two and a half hour rounds in one of the big games, play three rounds in a day. You know, that's seven and a half hours you're of like playing. You're spent. You are um, spent. You're completely spent. And I do think if you tried to push Warcry to five rounds, right, you could fit, the, fit it in a day, but you would uh -huh. probably be spent you know, like you would be just as exhausted after four rounds or after five rounds. But after four, it, you know, everyone was having a great time. Um, you know, I kind of made some friends and went out after both uh, the narrative event and then also the second competitive event. Like um, people still had energy to do so, which I thought was great. Right. So all of that was really fun. Um yeah, just really glad I went, and it was so nice after, you know, starting my channel in the pandemic and starting playing in the pandemic, to finally get playing with people in person at yeah. a large event was, was really cool. Now, you've got two um, 
two videos about Adepticon or three? Uh, three so now, but yeah, yeah two now, okay. two that are actually kind of nuts and bolts about what was there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, I encourage everybody to go check out the Salty Seas podcast or uh, uh, YouTube channel um, for really the breakdown of Adepticon. That's really not what we're trying to do here is get into like the the nuts and bolts. I will say this though, uh, Darcy, uh, who took second place and um, got what was it first place with the uh, painting competition. She won. She won the narrative and one of the two competitive best painted awards and yeah. she came in third in the um best painted or not but uh third for best general at the uh competitive event so if there had been a best overall well who knows because the person who won best general came second for best painted so who knows which of them would have won best <laughs> overall but um yeah she she like dominated is a classic double threat for potentially winning best general and best painted at your event um, and you've had her on the podcast, like you said, yeah. Yeah, we had her on the podcast, oh, gosh, maybe it was a year ago. Um, maybe even a little bit longer. Uh, she was one of the first artists I found when I very started, like, started painting, like, in the beginning. Like, we're talking oh, wow. 2018. And I was looking up um, Necron paint schemes. I don't even know why I was looking up Necron paint schemes. I wasn't painting Necrons, but I, I did. And I was just like, I want a Terminator version. Like, the one with red glowy eyes. Not green glowy mm-hmm. eyes. I want red glowy eye Terminators. You know what I mean? Like, yep. from Terminator 2 Judgment Day kind of thing. And sure enough, she painted up a whole bunch of them like that. And I was like, oh, I'm in love with her paint schemes because they were just so, 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 so good. Yeah. And she's gotten even better since then. Like, she's... she. She somehow keeps leveling up, and I'm like, girl, I thought you were at the top of your game, and you just keep leveling up, <laughs> you know? Like, mm-hmm. you're you're about to evolve into a next stage of Pokemon painter here. I don't know, like, what's happening, and, and uh, but she's amazing. She's such a great, she's such a great lady, too. So yeah. nice. I'm glad that she's playing Warcry, um, and her painting, and, like, did I, did I see it right? Her base... Or her display board was a, a slice of wood. Yes, it was. And it fits oh so well with her autumnal forest-themed Beasts of Chaos, mm-hmm. right? Think about that. Beasts of Chaos, right? Yeah. Animals marauding the wilderness in an autumnal theme with a um, like a, a, a tree cutout as their display board. And then she had, so like, ba- she had put kind of terrain on the tree cut out but then it was like the bark and everything were around the side just incredibly artistic like beyond just good technique it was also yeah. good art um yeah one of the things amazing that, taste yeah one of the things that came out of golden demon was you know some some lay person fans were angry at kind of the winners being just technical marvels that weren't artistically that interesting um some of the winners were absolutely artistically incredible, yeah. but all, all that's to say she had a, a piece at the competitive event that was just uh, both technically and artistically really, really, really amazing. And then I think at Golden Demon she said that she got a commendation pin, so she didn't win anything, but she got the little pin saying that you, you were close. Um, so oh, that's, cool. that's really impressive too. Oof, if she didn't win anything, like I'm like, I have no hope. But uh, <laughs> now, to be fair, the Nova Open has uh, 
a, a, a painting class for you and me, buddy. Right. It's the not like per, uh, professional painters. Uh, I do class. love that. They've yeah. sort of siphoned off the the Darcy's and all of the professional painters uh, into their own category. And then they've got a journeyman category and I'm really excited yeah. for it. Yeah, definitely. So, but it sounds like Adepticon was amazing. Um, I'm, I'm so glad that they had two competitive tournaments and a narrative. I think that that's so great. Um, yeah. You know, that, that they had that, the, uh, it, was it what, what, was it what you expected? Um, you know, I didn't really know what to expect. Uh, one surprise I did get was, you know, I've, in so many of my videos, I've talked about how much I value being able to kill really small sort of cheap chaff units efficiently. Mm -hmm. And I saw a lot of people bringing Stormcast and a lot of people bringing Untamed Beasts, uh, to really? the tournaments. Um, Untamed Beasts, I think it's because they're in the starter box and iron golems are bad. That's fair. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. so it's like you have these two starter war bands, and uh, one of them's a lot stronger than the other. So you're yeah. going to this tournament, and you're going to bring your untamed beasts. Um, and they were, you know, people were rocking the cats, you know, giving the cats extra attacks. Um, nobody went 3-1 or better in the competitive tournaments with them, but people were on 2-2, two and two, uh, all uh -huh. over the place. There were a ton of Untamed Beasts players who were 2-2, two and two, um, which makes sense. It's like they can absolutely hang with the best AOS warbands, but it's like the very, very best are probably doing something a little bit more powerful. Um, yeah. But yeah, the, the Untamed Beasts, you know, if you've got your starter set, if you you, you kind of want two cats, which there's only one in the starter set, but... Um, right. Yeah, a two cats untamed beast warband is is a really solid entry into the competitive side of the game. You can absolutely win with it. And then uh, a lot of stormcast. I I didn't expect stormcast because you know they have so many list building issues. Uh, we should cover stormcast on this podcast sometime. But oh, we definitely will. Um, they have a lot of list building issues. Other than the vanguard, don't, but the rest of them do. Um, so I didn't expect to see so many of them. But I forgot like. They're the intro to the setting. So, of course, people have right. them. So, of course, right. you're always going to see them. They're always represented a ton in regular AOS. Of course, they were going to be in Warcry, and I, I should have thought about that. And, uh, yeah. So, I would tell people, if you're going to go to a tournament, you know, even though I would say for what's powerful, you need to kill lots of Toughness 3 really quickly and really efficiently, you do want at least something in your Warband that can cut through Toughness 5. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a very good point. Right on. Well, um, with with me running the Nova Open, um, you know, competitive tournament for Warcry, uh, I have a question here. In our ideal world, what would this event look like? Yeah, like the Nova event? Um, yeah. Man, so I thought they did a lot of things right and a few things wrong at Adepticon. And... The few things wrong are not their fault. Like, the tournament organizers... Um, so the ones for the narrative event were the Dogs of Warcry podcast. Yep. They absolutely love Warcry. You could tell by the way they had just done the little things. Like, they'd written their own narrative for the game. 
Um, they had a plan about lots of different rules, gray areas. They kind of had a plan of what they think is cool um, or like how they wanted to play it. Um, so you could kind of tell that then in the competitive event, you know, GW had put their sort of rules down from on high, which I think is fine, right? GW yeah. sort of has a right to do that. Um, but then the narrative, or the, sorry, the competitive organizers, they hadn't really heard of Warcry, um, to oh. be honest. I think most TOs are, well, maybe not around the country, but most TOs attached to Adepticon are kind of old 40K guys. Ah, uh, okay. Um, that makes sense. And, you know, not old as in disparaging. Like, you know, they created the hobby. It's it's amazing, yeah. right? It's amazing to talk with them and pick their brain about the history of the game. But they're just, they're not into Warcry because they it's, Warcry's pretty new, right? To them. Right. <laughs> to them, right. when Warcry launched three years ago, that's like, you know, yesterday. Um, so that part was tough. Like, it was hard to really get a solid ruling you know, out of the TO, you needed to kind of talk to maybe some of the more experienced players who weren't in your game, for example. Um, they they also were doing all of the um, pairings and scorings via pen and a pad, which mm. had been a decision made by the larger event staff. So the, the guy running the Warcry tournament, I think he did an amazing job with the hand he was dealt as far yeah. as having to TO a game that he had only played a few times two years ago um, and having to do all the pairings with a paper and pen, which is a lot of a lot of fiddling and figuring out to do paper and pen style, a lot of bookkeeping yeah. to do by hand. Um, I think he was an incredibly brave soldier, but I do think it uh, maybe kind of overwhelmed him a bit and there were times when it was a little awkward. So... That would be the one thing I would say. Use yeah. a use a computer app. I know you're you have a relationship with the BCP folks. Yep. I think that's a good way to do it. I think um, a lot of if you don't have a subscription to BCP, you can use most uh, Magic the Gathering tournament software to do non Magic the Gathering tournaments. So if you're an organizer of a card shop and you don't have BCP, but you do have one of the magic softwares, use something like that, you know? Uh, there's actually, a, you know, even a chess pairing software, right? Yeah. Just use some, use a computer. It it, it makes, a big makes it so much easier. Yeah. And I'll, I'll point out, too, that BCP for tournament organizers is free. You oh, I didn't know that. Have it, yeah, okay. you don't have to have a subscription to run an event. The only subscriptions that they sell are for players if they want to have, like, track your stats and get access to lists and be able to see, like, tournament results more than, like, uh, you know, a few days after your thing. So, for example, if I played in a in a uh, Rogue Trader tournament for Age of Sigmar, I can see all the lists of the people that I'm going to be in, but after two days, it's locked. So okay. if I want to go back and look at those lists, then that's where the subscription would come in. And you can look okay. at any list across any event and so, like, the most competitive players absolutely have subscriptions to that, you know, because they want to see what people are running all over the world, really. And um, But if I'm that a tournament organizer, um, mm -hmm. then it is free to use. And if you are a tournament player, it is also free to use. 
So you don't okay. have to you don't have to have the subscription. That's that's part of the reason why I do like BCP for what it is, right? It um, uh, and I believe that they have a Warcry module in there already. Um, I don't know how good it is, which kind of brings me to my next question. Like in an ideal world, um, if I'm running an event, right? We have like let's say we've got 32 people. Yeah. Um, five rounds gets you to one undefeated person, but if you want to keep it to four rounds just because you don't want people to get too tired or something like that, you're going to need something that helps differentiate yeah. uh, between a couple of the undefeateds, right? So um, what do you think does that? Like, um, what, are you, what, what should you be tracking? Like, victory points, um, number, like, points models killed? Um, like, what do, what do you think? Secondaries, so, that whole thing. Tournament points, i found, actually do do a pretty good job stratifying people. Um so you get major victory, minor victory, draw, um, major loss, minor loss, and then you have your one hidden agenda point. Uh-huh. Um, I actually found that that was stratifying people pretty well because a lot of people, you know, the um, the uh, the first competitive tournament, there were actually two undefeated players at the end, but one of them had three major victories and one minor victory, and one of them mm-hmm. had two minor victories. And so that kind of, that did it. Um, it would have been nice to get a, uh, a final between them, but, um, but it wasn't necessary for at least picking a winner. And I do think in general, the person who had the three major victories had been a more convincing 4-0. Um, yeah. But, you know, the other person also beat everyone ahead of them, so... You could definitely say you'd want to see a finals, but I think you can get away without it if you have four rounds. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. How, sorry. How did they um, determine what was a major victory, minor victory, that type of thing? Yeah. So the Toma Champions has a really nice little guide. Um, let me see what page it's on. But so the guide tells you, you know, what their idea of what a major and minor victory is. So. They say, um, let's see, here it is. If you win the battle and less than half of the fighters in your warband, so the winner's warband are taken out, then you get a major victory, 20 points. If you win and more than half half of your warband is taken out, you get get a minor Minor. victory. And you get 15 tournament points for that. So you still get a lot, right? Um, and then a minor loss is you lost the battle, but you took out half of the winner's warband. So what I like about this is it doesn't matter how many people of the loser's warband get killed, um, because it's all about whether the loser can kill enough of the winner's warband. So basically it incentivizes if you're winning, you want to play really careful and conservative and if you're losing, you want to take big risks to go up from a major loss to a minor loss. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that that kind of gives you more to play for, even if you're losing late in a game, which I think is cool. And um, the fact that there's some point strat- stratification for that is cool. Yep. Um, there's 12 hidden agendas now, as opposed to there's only six in the core book, so they added six more in the Tome of yeah. Champions, which... Um, I think was really smart because only having six hidden agendas and having to 
use four of them for a given tournament before is kind of it's basically random right mm-hmm. if you're getting right because like you just don't have enough choices to actually be doing any strategy there but now with 12 choices you know you have things that your warband might be tailored to achieve you know yeah. even late in the tournament um which i think is really cool so i would i would just use that scoring system the yeah. only thing is they don't give you an option for a draw and one thing we found over and over in these tournaments was it's actually with four rounds, it's actually really easy to end up with a draw. Um, uh-huh. And a lot of the best, even some really, really fun, really awesome um, missions, they still end up where there's a certain amount of points and you can end up tied on points. And a lot of the time it's up to either you play another round or you just go by kill points but like those can often be really unfair like a lot of the time the person who's winning on kill points wouldn't win if there was another round um so at least having the option for a draw you know certainly if you've got lots of time in the round like choose a tiebreaker but having an option for a a draw where both players get 10 points um i think is is good to have and also you know further differentiates the players so that you get sort of a wider range now, um, with the hidden agendas, would you list out all 12 and basically say you get to choose one per round out of any of the 12, or would you curate it down to, like, maybe eight or something I would, like that? I would let people use all 12, even though I don't think all 12 are very interesting, because mm-hmm. just they're in the book, so people yeah. might gloss... People might see you're saying hidden agendas and then think, okay, I can take any of the hidden agendas. So if you cut some, even though I agree some are better than others and some are more interesting than others, if you cut some of them, then you kind of, if someone was counting on that one and then you cut it, they might just go like, well, why'd you cut mine? Why'd you cut my hidden agenda versus others? So I would just, I would just include all of them. I don't know. Sounds good. Um, very good, very good. Uh, what missions would you say? Like, what's a good balance of missions in an ideal, let's say, uh, four-round or five-round tournament? Yeah, so um, one of the things I did in a video about sort of how to write a warband list is I kind of split mission types into four different types, which is um, objective missions, which are anything with objectives, hunter missions, which is anything where you have to kill something of your opponents while stopping mm-hmm. them from, from killing something of yours, uh, treasure missions, anything with treasure, and then kind of, I call them area control missions, but there's a bunch of missions in the game where it's like you sort of, you take control of an area or you get to an area while forcing your opponents out of that area, and it's not it's not like a fixed point like an objective it's like a huge swath of the battlefield Uh Um, so they play a little bit differently than objective missions do i would want to have you know a spread of those four types with the caveat that most treasure missions are kind of bad most treasure missions if you go first you're winning advantage it's like if you go first you're like 85 90 percent to win um so some treasure missions are pretty good, um, but some of them are really awful. So, And we had talked about, I think it was even in our last podcast, right, about the idea of maybe house ruling a treasure mission, which is you can't, you know, you, you move at half speed because it's heavy or something like that, right? 
Um, you could would do that. that. Fix it? Um, would that fix it? You think, or was so it still still? I issue? wouldn't. I wouldn't run that in a big tournament unless mm-hmm. I had run it at like many small tournaments and it had worked well. You know what I mean? Like, I think big tournaments are not the place to debut those. You talked actually with James O'Brien in your winning Warhammer one, or was it the one with the BCP guy? I don't know. I listened to both of them, and they're both sort of about running events. Um, But you had talked, and both of them kind of, I think, said things about how, like, being experimental is really, really important in in Warhammer tournaments, but it's not a good fit for the big tournaments. So I think... Yeah, the, the, the local tournaments or your um, gimmicky tournaments. And, and I call them gimmicky because they're usually, like, focused on a certain thing, right? Um, right, it's not a value matter. judgment. It's just, like, a word about there is a shtick going on. It's a, yeah, it's a, exactly. It can be a good shtick. It can be great. But, yeah, there is a shtick. Yep. <laughs> exactly. So, like, you know, let's let's mess around in these smaller tournaments where people know exactly what they're getting and where they're getting it. Not at the Nova Open or, you know, some of the Warhammer Open series type of thing. Because um, yep. people have certain expectations on how those events need to be run. And um, good, bad, or ugly, right? Like, yeah, expectations. Exactly. Yeah. So. so I would... There are some treasure missions that aren't insta-win for whoever goes first. If I was going to include a treasure mission, I'd kind of hunt through maybe the Red Harvest mm-hmm. cards for it. I think the Red Harvest treasure mission is okay. I think there's some in the base game. I think there, maybe there was one from the last TOC that was okay. Um, but for some of the others, you know, I think the objective missions in the uh, in the new TOC are really good. I think Scour is a better version of the Red Rover mission from the base game. Yeah. Um, Scour being, it's Red Rover, so uh, just get to the other side. But you get a point for getting a kill. Um, right. which I think is really good. Um, I think that mission's actually shockingly balanced in a way that the first Red Rover mission was not. Right. Yeah, um, the first Red Rover one was a little tricky. Yeah, yeah. And speed was just way, way important, whereas now, you know, you get points for kills. So, you know, you can decide not to just try to get to the other side, and you can just try to... You can win by only stopping your opponent from getting the other side, even if you yeah. never get there yourself, which I think is a good adjustment. Um, and then um, trophy kills is not my favorite hunter mission, but it is mm-hmm. good. I think all of the hunter missions are pretty solid. Um, and trophy kills is the new one out of the Toma Champions. It's one of my least favorite hunter missions, but I like all hunter missions. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. so it's it's solid. But if you wanted to pick one out of the base game and just say, extending it to four rounds now, you know, you could absolutely do that. Um, yeah. You know, I think Bloodmarked is, for my money, Bloodmarked is the best mission in the game. You know, that's a hunter mission. But any. I would just want to include a hunter mission and it could be trophy kills. It could be lots of different things. Yeah. Yeah. So I had asked you this when I was debating on whether or not I was going to actually accept the, accept the assignment to run the, run the tournament. Um, but I asked you this question, should people submit their list beforehand, like a week or two beforehand, and should they be separated into their hammer dagger shield already? So I think, I think making people commit to Hammer Dagger Shield is really important because otherwise people get to fudge it when they see the deployment. Um, And that is fine at the bottom tables, but if it happens in the mid or top tables of a tournament, 
it's real problematic. And like, there's a lot of eyes usually on like the two th- on the finals. But let's say if it's two two and O players, and then someone's, you know, it's like you just you don't want that happening. So I think right. forcing people to commit their hammer dagger shield before the tournament is important. The one the one place. So yes, I would say for any competitive event, make people submit beforehand. But the one thing that I thought worked really well that they did at Adepticon was they told anybody walking by at like, hey, you can join, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and they got two people in, um, they got one on each day from just saying that. And I think that that was great. And they told those people like, listen, you don't have, you in particular don't have to submit a list. Um, right. And... I think that that was good. I think telling people on the wait list that they don't have to have it, right? I think that that's okay. At the end of the day, this is a a game that needs to to get traction and to grow and to just communicate to people how fun it can be. Right. And I 100% agree. While for if we're giving out trophies, I think we should make people follow the rules. I do think that for folks who don't know the game well, they're probably not a big threat to win the event anyway. And so letting people join last minute and then just be like, okay, separate them now. Let's take a picture and that'll be your, you know, just doing something real quick um, to like help them write it down real quick. It, I think would be good because, you know, I think encouraging as many people to play as possible is, is always a good thing. Yeah, and I think doing a little bit of Q&A before the event starts, right, being able to make sure yeah. that, you know, you have the right amount, you know, you can't have more than 50% in your shield, you have to have at least one fighter in each group, you have to, you know what I mean, like, yep. you, you, just making sure that people are following those rules with it, because I'll, I'll be honest with, sometimes I'll, like, separate the three and be like, oh, wait, hold on, do I have this right, you know, yep. and I know that newer players don't really, like, think about that too hard they're just thinking like okay well um what's gonna be better and especially if you are showing the deployment missions ahead of time which i've gone back and forth with jason on this um should you put out the pack that has deployment missions in it a month in advance and i think you should Mm -hmm. i think it lets players plan war bands for it which makes it more competitive right um if everybody's got all the same information you've got a fair tournament you know, (laughs) Um, and so, you know, letting players plan for it, letting them understand what the hidden agendas are that they can choose from, letting them know what the victory conditions are, what the deployment zones are going to look like and all that. I think that's really important for players to be able to do. What that also does is it lets them say, okay, well, I know that my hammer dagger shield need to look like this. Right. And um, the, the flip side of that is that you may get a less experienced player look at those things and be like, oh man, I really need to put a bunch of these people in my shield or my hammer and just overbalance, like overcompensate because they want to get more people on the table at one time or something. And, you know, inadvertently break one of the fundamental rules of Warcry of the list building, you know, so. And I think um, one, one thing you can do to kind of strike a balance there is you could say, here are six missions I am going to, like, we will randomly choose four of these six. Right. Or yeah, here exactly. are eight missions, and we will randomly choose four of these eight. Or even, you know, round one will be randomly one of these two, and then round two will be one of these two, and then round three, right. you know, like, we can, you can do a lot of, um, a lot of stuff to kind of strike a balance there between the two, two things you just said, yeah. 
Yeah, so that you've got, um, you still got some of that random feel of Warcry without making it too random that it can't be competitive, right? Right. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, I think that's really where the balance goes. So um, these are all great ideas. I can't wait to start working on this tournament pack um, and, and getting it together. Obviously I'm going to be learning, leaning on some of your expertise in helping pull, um, you know, some of these ideas together into a comprehensive pack as we put it out. I know you're going to be playing, um, but at the end of the day, like even if you help me put the pack together, I don't think that uh, that's going to give you a leg up because everybody will have the pack anyway, right? So <laughs> as long as we get it out a long time in advance, yeah. I won't have a leg up. I if if we're if we end up putting it off and then I'm not involved until late, I'll probably pull out and say I can't I can't be involved. But I think that's as fair. long as I'd like to get it out sooner than later. So yeah, if we get it out like two months in advance, then I'm just going to shrug and be like, listen, like I. You had two months to look at this. There's nothing that you that <laughs> right. I could have figured out in three months that you could not have figured out in two months. You know. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, but yeah, I'd like to get it out sooner than later so that I can make sure that I am prepped for what I need. Um, yeah. You know, in terms of running it. So, um, but yeah, I I love your experience that you had at Adepticon. I can't wait to do this at Nova Open. I think there's one thing that you said that is the key to all of this. We want to grow the game, right? We want to yeah. make this um, a game. I get personally, like, affronted. My, I start clutching my pearls, uh, you know, a little bit when people are like, Warcry is not a competitive game. It's too random. I, I completely disagree with it. I think it can be a very competitive game. I think it can be a very fun competitive game. I think it's all in how you approach it, set it up, and run it. Right, that that will make it um, a good event or not. Yeah, the guy uh, you had on your BCP podcast, he seems like a great guy, but he clearly just didn't understand Warcry very well when he, he was did. like, the opening yeah. dice roll makes it too too random, and it's like, well, actually, if it, the reason it is a good competitive game is that you can mitigate that randomness with your list building uh, yep. really effectively, and yep. smart Warcry players will do so, and they will have. Uh, ability plans for all of the most common dice rolls and and to say that that makes it non-competitive is just ignorant um, which you know people are allowed to be everyone's ignorant of something right but it was just <laughs> right, funny right. to hear him say that because he was so so wrong and I thought you did a good job not starting the fight because it was clear that he just wasn't interested in learning but yeah yeah, yeah mm -hmm. i was i was like okay well that's interesting <laughs> yeah because yeah, i i really disagreed with that statement obviously you know um yeah. and he I you know that, he's a 40k player and he's yeah really passionate and has done a ton for the game like again this is no judgment on him it's just uh yeah i think a lot of people who haven't played much warcry have a lot of very wrong understandings about it well, you know, and the other thing, too, is he really hates the double turn in Age of Sigmar, you know, and I think that that's an interesting indicator as well, right? Because it's mm -hmm. like um, any great Age of Sigmar player knows how to plan for that double turn, no matter what, you know, um, by not overextending yourself, by positioning yourself that you can take advantage when you do do it versus not getting exploited if you don't get it, you know, so... Um, well, I'm a yeah. bad Age of Sigmar player, and I don't know how to play for the double turn. And uh, maybe <laughs> listening to your winning Warhammer podcast or your your talking Warhammer podcast, maybe I'll learn. Yeah, hopefully. I, are, did you sign up for the grand tournament for Age of Sigmar? I did. Yeah. I so I will fun. get my we'll butt whooped, and it'll be fun. <laughs> yeah, we'll have a blast. It's going to be awesome. So, 
anyway um but listen uh thanks for joining me again obviously we uh i love talking war cry like there's Same. so much to discuss so um it's it's a it's a lot of fun to to dive in and and dig into some of this stuff so if you guys uh also enjoy it be sure to like and share it with your friends um you know we we love getting the word out about this game and we just want to make sure that everybody's getting a good understanding and and wants to play more of it so thank you guys for your support and listening to it and uh have a great night yeah you too talk to you next month yes definitely <laughs>